Yeah, so good to see you this morning. And um, January is in full speed, full gear. It's uh, winter arrived, didn't it? Yeah. Drive ho- I drove home on Friday night, P and I, from some friend's house having dinner in Curtis, and uh, it was a wild ride home. Uh, but it was kind of fun. You know, as long as you arrive safely and then you get to spend the rest of the night indoors, it's kind of fun, right? But um, yeah, the frigid temperatures have arrived. But we do live in Canada, don't we? Yeah. I don't think it's a legitimate complaint, is it, when it's minus 15? Minus 30. Our, our friends in Alberta and B.C., they have a right to complain, don't they? I think they do. Um, but anyway, this past week we had uh, three days of prayer with fasting. Many of you participated in all sorts of ways, when you could, how you could. And uh, we're just trusting Jesus with all that was offered up to him. And, uh, but it's really good for us to say yes to that invitation and, and begin a conversation with God or maybe respond to the conversation he initiates with us. And so I just hope that you felt, um, again, closer to God as we start 2024 together and perhaps even made some uh, movement towards deepening your consecration toward his will and his purposes in your life. And uh, so we just trust Jesus with all the prayers that were offered. And um, February 11th, uh, the date night comedy tour is starting up again. They haven't done this since uh, like pre-COVID. So they're coming back, and we get to be a host site church on February 11th. If you want to go to our website, kingstreet.org, there's a link there to help you buy tickets. Uh, It's a great opportunity to come out, have a fun night. Um, It's not just for couples, it's for people, but it's a date night comedy tour. So uh, come on out and be be a part of it. You're invited. So pain and pretending. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more for the next number of weeks about uh, pain is real. And when we deny it, um, it doesn't help, right? Um, Pain is real and it hurts. And when we we live in some form of of denial, uh, pretend that we as people of faith should be exempt from pain, I think we set ourselves up for dramatic disappointment. And perhaps even, if we take it to its extreme, could actually lead to a crisis of faith. Um, It really does matter what we believe. Theology is not just for those who live in ivory towers somewhere. Theology is for all of us. Theology is a study of God. And so all of us have a vantage point, a view of God. We've formulated some sort of conception about what God is like. And if it's uh, tremendously in error, it can lead us down all sorts of broken and dysfunctional paths. And so thinking clearly about God... And uh, holding Scripture responsibly before you with the help of the Spirit to be able to understand what's beautiful and good and best as revealed in the text. Because the Bible is primarily God's self-revelation to people. So as we read it, we're just not looking for how to navigate making decisions in our lives, even though that can be very helpful. We're really on a lookout and on a search as we open up the text to find out more about God. Who is He? What is he like, and what is he inviting me into? And so um, when we subscribe to some idea that those of us who follow Jesus should be exempt from pain, um, it leads us down the wrong road. Pain is for humans, right? Jesus told his disciple friends, in this life you will have trouble. Trouble comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, And often it does not make, as I say frequently here, it does not make an advanced appointment on your calendar. It just shows up. That's what trouble does. 
And uh, so this series, Pain and Pretending, is an invitation for us not to get lost and stuck in pain and wallow in it necessarily, but to be aware of the fact that pain is real for all people, including people of faith. And we don't want to pretend otherwise because we will do a disservice to the kingdom of God in us. Um, Jesus wasn't exempt from pain. If he wasn't exempt from pain, why do we think we ought to be exempt from pain? And, uh, and when we walk through, as Psalm 23 says, through dark valleys, um, there can be some pain involved in that valley journey that we're on. Uh, but we don't need to be afraid because the psalmist says God is with us, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a strong God who is alongside us. As we, uh, as we make our way in the world. So um, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about making friends with endings. Um, endings sometimes can be rather abrupt for people. It's like, I didn't see that one coming. And the brakes get applied, and you can hear the screeching, and it's like, whoa, I thought we were going to be on this ride a lot longer. But the brakes are applied, the squealing tires are, are in play, and it's like we come to a grinding halt. We didn't see that one coming at all. Other times, we can have anticipatory uh, awareness of what's coming uh, based on the season of life that we're in. So we're going to unpack some of those um, endings that emerge for us and we as the people of faith. What does it look like for us to make friends with endings as opposed to resisting them and fighting them to welcome them and to look for the redemption of the Spirit in the middle of the endings that come to, uh, to all of us along the way. So uh, Job is going to be our friend today and Messiah Jesus, of course. They will be our guides and helpers as we move along through this teaching. But if you're able, would you stand with me? This is our passage to ponder for the series taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we like to recite scripture here. It's good for us to say it, and it's good for us to hear it from our neighbors. So beginning at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so your neighbor can hear you. Let's read this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. All right, so endings are real, they're not imaginary, and they can be deeply painful. Um, and as humans and people of faith, this is our experience. Some are predictable, some take our breath away because of the spontaneity and the severity by which they, they come to us. And um, so last week, if you happened to be with us, we explored the, um, the ending of life that comes. And we do well, right? In the words of Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. We will live better if we understand that each of us has an expiry date. There'll be a, an appropriate urgency about how we make the most of every opportunity. And so uh, one of the most painful things we will experience and explore is our own mortality, knowing that as a almost 55-year-old person here on the platform this morning, um, the odds of me being on the second half of my life are pretty high. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to 110 or 111. Um, I'm not sure I want to because I can only imagine what that would be like. Um, but I'm probably into the second half of my life. I may even be two-thirds of the way, and who knows? I could be 99.5% of the way through my life. We don't know. 
right? One of the hardest things for us will be to recognize and to make friends with the fact that we do have a shelf life, we have an expiry date, and also what will be so excruciatingly hard for us is when we know the people that we love are um, stepping over the threshold of their own mortality into the world to come. It will be hard for us to let go and to release and to make friends with their ending. Even though these are people of faith, perhaps, who are going to be with God on the other side, heaven is a 2.0 upgrade, no question about it. But for us who are left behind, we feel the sting of loss. This is what life as humans includes, is separation from those we love. So perhaps it's facing our own health complications, our own aging process that happens along the way. And we know that with every passing day, we are closer to that moment when the door will open for us and we will walk through and we will say goodbye to those who we have shared this world with. It'll be a challenge for us. But we all need to make friends with that ending. Unless Jesus comes for us first, we will all die. One out of every one person dies. Do you know that stat? You can take that one to the bank. And so if we live with this idea that it won't happen to me, um, not sure. Not sure we're living in ultimate reality there. But All right, so a close second will be when... Um, we experience the end of relationships, uh, perhaps divorce. Um, divorce is like a death. And for some people who've experienced that, they say it's actually even more painful because when somebody dies, they're not here in this world anymore. But when somebody chooses not to be in your world, but they're still in the world, that can be incredibly painful. And so divorce in many ways is like a death. And in the past, a number of decades ago perhaps, we struggled to make friends with this idea that there was life after divorce. There is life after divorce. Divorce is painful. It's hard. But we ought not to pretend that it doesn't happen to good people. Divorce happens to very good people. In fact, Jesus is the redeemer of all things, including relationships that end and perhaps end violently and prematurely. Hopes and dreams are in the hearts of people, and hopes and dreams will be fulfilled on the other side in their entirety. But life on this side includes moments where there are dashed dreams and disappointments. And the Spirit of Jesus comes alongside us in the middle of our disappointments and points us somewhere good and beautiful and says, this isn't the end of your story. This relationship might be ending, but this is not the end of your story. And so at King Street Community Church, we teach and we live the best we can what Scripture teaches. But God hates divorce. We know that. But remember this. It doesn't say God hates divorced people. God hates divorce because of what it does to people along the way. And so the ideal is that people would walk together in covenant love till death parts them. What happens in reality is humans make choices that impact other people. And sometimes relationships come to a grinding halt in ways that create pain for, for both parties along the way. So the end of relationships, it could be divorce, it could be a friendship that moves in the wrong direction, separated by geography, whatever that might look like. That's a real ending. There's also the end of employment. Our work is very, very important to us, but we are more than our jobs. We are more than our careers. Uh, I am not a pastor, 
I am David Larmer, named by Kenneth and Diane Larmer. That's who I am. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a father, I'm a husband. I get to serve as a pastor for a season of my life, and it is a wonderful privilege. My identity, though, cannot be my work. If I make my work my identity, when my work comes to an end, I will lose myself in some way. If any of you have ever lost a job, experienced a downsizing or some form of termination at any point, it can be incredibly painful. The timeline that came for you was not of your choosing. Um, And for others of you, it was your choosing, and it was painful to make the choice to step away from a place of employment. And so these are real endings for us that we have to make friends with. We have to see past it or through it and ask ourselves the question as we lean in, what is coming next, because there's always what's coming next. The end of a season of family life, empty nesters in the room know what it's like for kids to grow up and say, bye, mom, bye, dad. I'll see you at Christmas. I'll see you at Easter or off to university or whatever that might look like. And all you've known is life with these kiddos around you. And yeah, you saw it coming. They were 14. They were 17. They were 19. They were 21. Perhaps they're still at home at 31. I don't know. But at some point along the way, they do choose to say, uh, I got a lease, I bought a condo, whatever it might be, right? And they choose to go. And it's sort of like, wow, you look around the house and it's quieter. It's empty. And it's an ending, in a sense, that we have to make friends with and ask ourselves, what's next? What's coming next? And um, so the end. You've probably seen this show up at the end of a movie or the end of a drama or something like that. The end. And when the end comes, it's sort of like, I don't know if there's anything next. Uh, Henry Cloud wrote a book called Necessary Endings. It was a fantastic book. The premise of this book was there are necessary endings that we ought to choose. Sometimes the place of employment, you've outgrown it. What the uh, place of employment functions like is not congruent with your values or your vision for your life, so you need to make a change. Uh, There are times when marriage relationships, not ideal. Something happens. A spouse is heavy-handed. spouse steps out of a marriage covenant commitment, whatever it might be, and that relationship needs to come to an end. There can be all sorts of reasons why endings happen, and it's like the curtain comes down, and it's like, that's all I can see. But it's not the end. There is more to come. And it's like there's another episode, so to speak. There's another episode, and there's another episode. It'll be different. The plot will change. It'll twist. It'll, it'll move around differently for us. But it's not the end, necessarily, of the story. All right. So this whole idea of um, endings are real and can be painful, let's not live in denial. It can be really, really hard. Endings are real, and how we respond to them really, really matters. Um, The things that happen to us shape us. And the way we respond to the things that happen to us shape us even more deeply. And they reveal something about us. And sometimes we don't always handle endings very well. And you know what? It's okay not to always handle endings very well. I'm one of these proponents to say humans are frail and sometimes they fail. Sometimes they're at their best and sometimes they're not. And sometimes the changes that come to us take our breath away, and we struggle to get reoriented around where true north is. This is the stuff of humanity. This is the stuff that people of faith are also made of. Things happen to us in life. And so what I want us to do 
is to take a look at our friend Job, the oldest book in the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you might say, I thought Genesis was the oldest book in the Bible. It's actually not. Uh, scholars tell us that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And isn't that interesting that when we think about the oldest book of the Bible, it's probably there for a reason in the sense that probably it's most common for all of us that suffering is the human condition. It's part of our story. And here it is, this 40-some-odd chapter book filled with all sorts of questions about life. So I'm going to lead you through a whole chapter, Job chapter 1. Um, and I'm going to invite us to consider this, that we can grieve and worship like Job. Okay? So here we are, Job chapter 1. Words will be on the screen. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless. Underline this in your mind. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Quite the epitaph of this man's life. And here's how he functioned. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. This man had 10 children, and he had a lot of wealth. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children may have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, so I'm going to pray for them. This was Job's regular custom. One day, so we go from this man Job and his family and his business dealings to all of a sudden the cosmic reality or the unseen dimension of life. Now all of a sudden, one day, the plot twist here. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Satan is literally the accuser. The accuser came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He's a good man. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Here comes the accusation. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household, everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are, are spread throughout the land. You have blessed him. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. This is the confidence Satan has in the human family. When things don't go well for you, he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked, made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, this is a bad day, right? And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters. Ooh. Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. 
It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Just let that settle in for a moment. We've got to move from literature and words to a real story. If that was you, what would that feel like for you? Talk about pain and anguish and despair. At this news, what does Job do? He got up, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. We can put a period right there and just sit with that for a moment. What does Job do? Job grieves. Job says, this is the worst day of my life. This is a disaster. This is a tragedy beyond words. He tears his robe and he shaves his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship. What? He fell to the ground in worship. And he declares, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then the commentary about what happened is, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Can you say a big wow to that? <laughs> I was sort of a rhetorical, <laughs> open-ended question. <laughs> it's a wow, isn't it? It really is a wow. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. This almost feels like fiction, doesn't it? Like, what kind of a human does that? Has that kind of tragedy and then says... I'm going to worship, and I'm going to declare the praise of the one true God, and I'm not going to slander God with wrongdoing. Unbelievable. So we need to remember something. When the pain of our lives emerges, and it will, and it has, I hope you never have a day. I hope I never have a day like Job had. But we need to remember, good people experience pain. The text is very clear. Job is a good man. He loves God. He loves his family. He hasn't planted the wrong seed in the garden and grown a, a nasty crop. He has planted good seed. He's a good man. Good people experience pain. And remember this, spiritual dynamics can be at play. You and I don't have the privilege of having a vantage point that helps us to see with crystal clarity. I often struggle sometimes with the events of life. Is this God's testing? Is this God's doing? Is this spiritual dyna dynamics of the dark kingdom at work in the world? Is this humans just functioning as humans? There are so many layers to things. That's why I hesitate sometimes to draw conclusions because there's just way more going on. Part of the problem with Job's friends is they come as somewhat unwise counselors and they draw conclusions, and they speak with certainty about things that they were not certain about or that they shouldn't have been certain about. And so maybe there's a lesson in that for all of us. As we work through this pain and pretending and making friends with endings is to hold loosely to what we see and maybe have open hands in the realm of, of worship, prayer, and trust. And maybe that's our, our next thought here to think about. 
So good people experience pain, spiritual dynamics can be at play, and we can, so this is life lessons from Job, we can learn life lessons from Messiah Jesus. We can pray and trust like him because he had his own ending. He had his own ending. And when he was on the cross and he was bearing the weight of the sin of the world, and in many ways theologians are scratching their head on the significance of all that's being said here, there are great mysteries around it, but what we do know is that Jesus was agonizing in that moment when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt God forsaken in that moment. Anybody in the room ever felt God forsaken? I wouldn't suggest that it is in the same way that Jesus felt forsaken, but there are moments when we can feel, if it's not forsaken, somewhat forgotten, and it's real and not imaginary. And if we're going to have a real, congruent, authentic faith, we can admit that to some people. Now, when you come into the lobby on Sunday morning and someone asks you, how are you doing? Might not be the best way to win friends and to be that kind of person to say, feel God forsaken and God forgotten. How are you, brother? Right? <laughs> that might be for a conversation with a good friend over coffee or whatever that might look like. But all of us, if we were going to be honest, the dark night of the soul visits everybody at some point along the way. Jesus had his own dark moment on the cross. God, what are you doing forgetting me? I came here to do your will, and I feel like you've left me all on my own. This is the prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's another prayer from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a beautiful prayer. In the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the trouble, the God-forsakenness, into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. Can you ever go wrong with that prayer? Lord, I just put my family in your hands. I put my daughters in your hands. I put my wife in your hands. I put my parents in your hands. I often go for my walks. And I'll bring people to Jesus, and that'll be my prayer. I say, God, into your hands, I commit my friends, my family, my sister. Whatever might be going on in their lives, just give them to you. It starts with us, first and foremost, being that kind of a person to say, Lord, I don't get what's going on in my world right now, but I choose to put myself in your hands. Hold me. You're strong enough and you're good enough to hold my life. Everything that's going on around me, the Job experience, oh, I can only imagine. Grieve it and worship and complain like Jesus and then pray like Jesus, a prayer of trust, and that will serve us well be one of the hardest things to do, but it will serve us well. Here's my last thought for this morning. Number three, endings are real, and leaning into what's coming next is critical. Um, you know, to be continued, right? This is, this, is, this is the story of our lives, to be continued. Do you know that that is the truth about us, even at death, to be continued? That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? The alternative is, that's it. Put his body in the ground. That's the end of this story. Wow, he was a good guy, wasn't he? Now, 76 years. Not bad. That's it. Soon to be forgotten by grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Great-great-grandchildren will not even know your name. That'll sober you up fast, eh? Just when you start thinking... Man, I've lived a, I got a wonderful legacy here. You play that thing out a hundred years, 
Unless they're going to go look for you at Ancestry.com. Right? That's life without God. Life with God is this, to be continued. All death is, is a threshold. Not to be minimized. We haven't stepped over it yet, so it's the unknown. And we know enough in the Bible just to go, oh, it sounds pretty amazing, but I don't know. I don't know what's coming next entirely. I just know that I'm going to be at home with God, and that's probably a pretty good place to call home, right? To be continued. So you can say that with confidence, that everything about your life is to be continued. Some things will end along the way of the narrative of your life, but your life continues, so we need to lean in. What came next for Job? Here's what came next for Job, the very last words of the book of Job. Here we are. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. You kidding me? He was blessed incredibly at the beginning. The text says God blessed him even more. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named was Jemima, the second Kezia, the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers, unheard of in that culture. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Job 1 is not the end of the story. If you've gone through some incredible pain, it's not the end of your story. It's a twist and a turn. It's a speed bump. It's an adjustment. You've moved from one lane to the next lane. But your life is still moving forward. I always say this to my family. The best is yet to come. If God is who we believe he is in Scripture, the best is yet to come. When we breathe our last, the best will be on the other side for us. And so even life in this world, this is not a prosperity gospel. I can promise you trouble and challenges. In fact, if you want to come follow Jesus, and if you're not following him right now, I'll give testimony to it. If you choose to follow Jesus, it'll be harder for you because you will now have a spiritual conflict within you. Your sinful nature will be real, and your saintly nature will be real, and there will be a tug-of-war battle for you, and you will now be in the unseen dimension of reality. There will be all sorts of dynamics that will kick in for you that will oppose your adventure in the kingdom of God. So this is not a prosperity gospel, but there is a God on the other side who holds out his hands, and his hands are enough for us, and what's in them is good for us. So that's Job. What came next for Jesus? He's pinned to a cross wearing a crown of thorns, being mocked and scourged, almost to the point of death. He's dying through suffocation and through intense pain. After he dies, it's not the end of the story. To be continued, right? Resurrection Sunday. And Philippians 2 tells us this about Jesus, and with this I'll end. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What came next for Jesus? Resurrection follows death. It's the way of the kingdom of God. 
A seed, as Jesus said, gets planted in the soil. Unless a kernel of wheat, uh, unless a, a, a seed dies, the wheat will never grow. It must die in order for there to be a crop that would grow. Jesus' death precedes his resurrection. There is a crown of thorns before there is a throne for him. And it's the same for us in life. What comes next for Jesus is resurrection and ascension and glorification. And what comes next for us is a God who walks through every dark valley with us and then will welcome us home on the other side and will reward us for everything we've done that has been good and beautiful and right. And so thanks be to God. We can make friends with endings because, yes, things will end, but the story over our life is it's to be continued. That's the story of our lives. Amen to that? All right. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can make friends with endings, painful ones. We don't want more of them, but we know that they're coming. And we know that it's part of life in a world preparing us for life with you on the other side. Lord, wherever there's hardship and challenge and suffering and difficulty and persecution and all the things, Lord, that make us feel squeezed in the vice grips of life this side of heaven, we pray, God, that you would help us to have a grand vision of what you're doing in us. And we pray, God, that we would not be squeezed to death, so to speak, unless it is the things that must die in us. Then, Lord, so be it. May those things die in us. But help us to lean in, believing in the God who is leading us to new life, who is the God of resurrection, the God of ascension, the God of glorification, and the God who will celebrate us. Um, and we pray, Lord, for the strength to be kept. We pray for the hope that will keep our feet moving in the right direction. And we pray for the grace, Lord, that will carry us along when we run out of steam in our own strength. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.